Welcome to Insight into Teaching Intro Psychology, a McGraw-Hill informative audio series. These podcasts feature subject matter experts, instructors, and authors discussing psychology-related topics in higher education. Hi, everybody, and welcome to another installment of our Insight into Teaching Introductory Psychology podcast. My name is A.J. LaFerrera, and I am on the marketing team at McGraw-Hill. And today I am joined by three tremendous instructors. Let's take a minute and introduce yourselves. Laura, do you want to kick us off? Sure. I'm Laura King. I'm at the University of Missouri, Columbia. Uh, I'm a personality and social psychologist, so I'm super excited to hear about what experts have to say about teaching psychological disorders. I teach intro psych in two different ways. I teach an honor section that has about 19 students, uh, and I've also taught big giant sections with about 550 students. Hi, I'm Becky Howell. Um, I teach at Forsyth Tech Community College in North Carolina. I've been there for about 15 years. Previous to that, I work in the clinical field, working with a lot of younger students and early 20s with many, many different types of disorders. Most of them were dual diagnosis. My classes range from 15 to 20 early college, which are high school students, all the way up to classrooms of about 50 with all sorts of students from 18 years old all the way up to about 60. I also teach online and I teach abnormal psychology as well. Hi there, my name is Nancy Simpson and I am an instructor at Trident Technical College and that is in Charleston, South Carolina. It's part of the community college system here. And I've been teaching for about 25 years. I am a licensed clinical psychologist. I've maintained my license. Although that was my first job way back, uh, what I found was I really enjoy teaching. So I especially enjoy teaching abnormal psychology. I teach both introductory, uh, introduction to psychology and abnormal. And what I find is uh, students really are engaged in psychology in general and disorders in particular. I teach both online and face-to-face, but I don't teach abnormal psychology online. I think it's important to do that face-to-face. I have about 45 uh, students in my general psychology, and my abnormal psych is capped at 35. And again, that's the traditional face-to-face style class. Great. Well, thank you, all three of you, for joining. It sounds like, A, we have a lot of passion amongst the three of you, and then also some clinical and teaching experience, which is really great as we tackle this topic. So before we get started, we usually spend the first half of the podcast talking about philosophical approaches to teaching this content. As you may now know, we are going to be discussing the psychological disorders chapter in the intro psych course. So I'm interested to hear what what are your guys' goals for students coming out of this chapter? What do you want them to take away after you've gone through this content? For me, the important thing for abnormal psychology and and the abnormal chapter in the general psychology is I want students to walk away with a bit of knowledge and the bottom line is we need to destigmatize mental illness. We've come a long way in this country but still the huge factor is mental illness is often put under the rug, not talked about, certainly not talked about at the same level as physical illness. So that's my primary goal. We've got to destigmatize mental illness, and I do that by educating. Wow, that's a, I'm so happy to hear that from Nancy because I, I share that same goal, right? I think that so much, for me anyway, as I'm teaching the disorders chapter, is trying to sort of 
basically normalize students' ideas of abnormal to try to help them understand and contextualize what, uh, how, what's abnormal, help them understand the ways that history has affected definition, and but also really to get them to recognize that there's people sitting with them in that classroom who uh, have been diagnosed with psychological disorders. There's people who they love who've been diagnosed with psychological disorders and to really go as far as we can to erase that stigma. I agree 100%. I also agree with both of you. I also look at each individual student and I kind of talk about their own quirks and how different we all are and how much we have a tendency to label people in our society and that we all have a little bit of crazy in us, I guess. And I don't like using that word, but the students do and help them to understand that disorders are just made up of people and all people have some issues in life. A lot of times we want to categorize people in different ways, and that's a big part of what we spend the first part of class talking about. Great. So where in the intro psych curriculum do you guys cover the disorders chapter? And then when you get there, are there specific things that you tend to emphasize and or leave out? I usually cover psychological disorders fairly late in the semester because I try to cover sort of the basics of psychology. Abnormal comes relatively later after we've covered quote unquote normal psychology, I guess. I'm curious to hear how everyone else handles this. I usually start out the class talking about these issues of the definition of abnormal and try to connect uh, what we're talking about in psychological disorders with things that we talked about in emotion or things that we talked about in social psychology or in personality psychology. So trying to get students to connect what we are talking about in this. This is without question, right? This is what they've all been waiting for. They're in intro psych thinking, when are we going to get to the disorders? So, but trying to contextualize psychological disorders within all of the rest of psychology so that students maybe have a sense for why it's placed where it is. I'm curious to hear about how this is a very large amount of information, right? Just in terms of the, the huge number of diagnoses and definitions. I'm curious to hear how others cope with that volume. Yeah, this is Nancy. Um, Laura, that, that's great. The context, I think that's what we do in, in most chapters of general psychology is contextualize and, and make connections between each chapter because it's a survey class and you've got you to gotta find the threads of connection. And like you, I believe that abnormal is what students assume all of psychology is. I teach it at the very last, the very last chapter. And we are constrained at my school in that we have gone to a compressed format, which means a full semester we teach in seven weeks. So we are particularly constrained and we do have to cut a lot of material. And I don't want to cut anything at abnormal because it's all good. But what I have wrestled with is how to how to get the best bang for the buck and, and teach the essence of the, the chapter, but not cover everything. So what I do is I approach this like a clinician. And so the first thing is um, diagnosis and not, by the way, they're in no way um, educated to do diagnosis, but I, I expose them to the DSM just by definition. But then we talk about oh, the four Ds, the Ds like deviance, distress, dysfunction. And so how would a psychologist, a clinical psychologist, assess mental illness? So I kick off with, with that, a classification and assessment. 
And then for the whole chapter, really, what what we're talking about for me is is the big I call it the big three. We're talking um, the most frequently occurring mental illness, and that's anxiety disorders. So I teach anxiety and all the disorders under that. We're talking the most frequently treated mental illness, and that is depression. So I teach mood disorders and all the mood disorders under that. And then I also teach uh, schizophrenia. So those are the three major illnesses we talk about, and I'm afraid everything else gets short shrift. So, Nancy, how did the reorganization of the DSM affect your coverage of anxiety disorders? PTSD got kicked out of that category, and I think obsessive compulsive disorder was removed yep. from the category. Do you still count? Do you still cover those in that segment? No, the things that were kicked out, I don't cover. It's okay, unfortunate, yeah. but no. Yeah. So I just do the the, the DSM five current diagnoses under anxiety. We're talking panic okay. disorder, social phobia, and, and you know all that. Right. Becky, how about from you? With my classes, I do cover a broad amount of information. I just touch on them just a little bit. I kind of try to debunk the myths. That's a lot of what I spend time doing, where I talk about the more common ones, of course, depression, schizophrenia, but I do cover things like DID so that they understand some of those differences. Um, We spent some time talking about Hollywood and some of the movies, the current movies that are out and how they are correct and how they're incorrect. Students will bring in all sorts of examples when it comes to this. Um, I teach this chapter at the end of the semester as well, and it's kind of a culmination, and I give my students a project that goes with it. So we spend about three weeks between this chapter, the therapy chapter, and the end of the semester. So we do spend a good bit of time on it, as it is one of their favorite things, and it gives us a lot of time to really kind of talk about what mental illness is and how it really does affect their lives and their families' lives. So I want to tackle challenges in this chapter because there's a lot to cover. What's the biggest challenge in covering the disorders content in intro psych? Well, I'll jump in. The the issue for me is, again, how to protect my students and how how much to reveal uh, since we're trying to destigmatize mental illness. And the idea is that it's much more common. One out of every four people have have a diagnosable mental illness in their adult life, and that you know, we're excluding drug abuse and alcohol, but um, how do you protect people from too much self-revealing? You don't want the whole course about their particular therapy or their great aunt Tilly. You know, I, I joke about, you know, this, you, we all have our great aunt Tilly. Well, you, you don't want to bring her in here. And yet, the fine line of we do want to humanize, and, and, and it, it's, it truly is all of us, not some other stranger. So that, that's a real fine line for me of how, how, how to balance that. I think one of my biggest challenges is balancing the desire to combat stigma with being careful not to underplay the harm that psychological disorders can do in people's lives. And so, right, I think sometimes students will romanticize disorders. And so I think it's really important to convey the seriousness and severity without over uh, pathologizing and stigmatizing people. The other big challenge, I think, for me is covering topics like suicide that are so serious and potentially upsetting to students uh, and finding a way to talk about a topic that is just very hot 
but in a way that students leave feeling empowered and informed. And I think my biggest challenge is trying to determine what to cover and how much to cover and how much detail to cover. It's such a broad topic and there are so many different disorders. And so finding that fine line between covering 50 disorders versus covering five and doing it well. And I think each instructor really has to come to terms with what they feel is the most important part of this chapter and giving the best examples that they can with, you know, what they choose to cover versus trying to cover everything. People get very overwhelmed and bogged down when they have too much to focus on. And I agree with the other two ladies that, of course, you've got to have that fine line between stigma, but also for people to understand that uh, mental illness is real and that when somebody is dealing with it, they certainly need to have the resources involved, but that the academic classroom is not the place to go through that process. So with the disorders chapter in intro psych, abnormal psychology is obviously a very popular course in the psychology curriculum. And some of you guys can speak to this from both sides. What do instructors expect students to know coming out of intro and into a course like abnormal psychology? Yeah, I can speak to that. We've just done a, a curriculum revision actually for our general psych and uh, it doesn't quite match up with what, <laughs> what I need for abnormal. But what we're looking for, most textbooks in abnormal are now talking about the biopsychosocial model or the, bi or the neuropsychosocial, however you want to say it. Prior to that, they talked in terms of the perspectives models. We we're talking uh, psychodynamic, behavioral, humanistic, uh, cognitive, and, and so on and so on. Well, I, I really like the grounding of the perspectives model, and I want to fit that into the biopsychosocial model, if that makes sense. So what I hope people come out of with abnormal is exposure to the early schools of psychology. I think that's important to know uh, where historically psychology is coming from and, and how we can make that into uh, assessment and diagnosis. Laura or Becky? I think my approach here is maybe pretty, I go easy on myself on this one, and I, I guess I kind of feel like if I get students to think about the science of psychopathology as something that exists within the broader science of psychology, that it isn't what all of psychology is, but it certainly is interesting. It's not the, it's not the place where you need to sort of whet their appetites to get them excited to maybe take another course in this topic. It, it might be the case in learning or in memory that you really have to work to get students to think about, oh, maybe I should take a, a memory course. This isn't that kind of thing. We have a gigantic intro to clinical lecture class that one of my colleagues teaches. I feel like if I give them some sense of maybe how what abnormal means, how disorders are, are diagnosed, and sort of, again, try to de-stigmatize these ideas, then I feel like I've done a lot for them to then go on and take, you know, upper level courses. I'm similar to both of you. Um, I, I want them to come out with a basic understanding of what disorders are, what might be some of the basic things that could cause someone to have a disorder, and then I want them to understand, you know, the whole myth versus reality of disorders. That, you know, this, our society is so big on you know, I'm so bipolar or I have OCD, what that actually means so that they can have a much clearer understanding of what makes mental illness what mental illness is. 
And so so I spent a good bit of time on it, but I want them to come out with a fresher, clearer understanding of disorders in general. Great. So let's take a, let's pivot a little bit and move into the classroom uh, and into some practical applications. So how do you guys open the class or the series of lectures when you're teaching the psychological disorders content? How do you get started? Well, I'll say that my first lecture in this section is almost always started out with, okay, finally we've made it. You get to finally get this topic that you've been chomping at the bit. Many of them have already read the chapter. They're so excited to hear about this topic. And again, as I said, I really try to start out by talking about things like stigma and talking about sort of contextualizing the definition of abnormal and how culturally specific it can be. And so I might use examples of historically things that were considered psychological disorders that no longer are or other countries that maybe don't recognize some of the things that we think of as psychological disorders. One of the places where I always feel at a loss, I mean, I talk about examples of people who've been very successful, who have been very public as well about having psychological disorders. But one of the, this is one of those places where I often have students say, oh, can you tell us about your patients or your clients? And I have to explain to them that I'm not that kind of psychologist. So um, I'm excited to hear how other people who have some expertise or specific expertise are starting out this very exciting section. Yeah, I, I, I share your excitement. <laughs> uh, you are so right that this is uh, the one chapter that everybody assumes is all of psychology, and it actually is my favorite chapter, so I hope I convey some of the passion and, and uh, energy here. Um, I tried something uh, brand new this, this year, and normally I, I start talking about classification and, and how psychologists look at abnormal behavior. And I think it's important for students to know um, the rule of thumb. I call it my rule of thumb that because everybody really wants to know if they themselves are disordered. And so so you got to convey that uh, maybe yes, maybe no, but but the issue is the rule of thumb for me is you are disordered or you have a disorder if and only if it interferes with your life. And your life means, you know, in in the Freudian sense we're talking two things, love and work. So we're talking relationships or work school related. So you have a disorder if you have problems in those two areas. So I t- what I tried new this, this time is I, I developed a, um, a little uh, show about um, myths of mental illness. And these are, you know, the, the top 10 myths, very similar to uh, good old David Letterman's top 10 list. And so I just sort of made them up and, and, and we go and do the top 10 list of, of the myths of mental illness. And that was really effective and really uh, well well received. I start out the chapter with a lot of excitement as well. My students love this chapter. Uh, the, they usually ask about it all semester long, and I just encourage them to wait until the end of the semester. <laughs> I start out with playing with words, basically. I do what we call the word debunk, and we come out with normal versus abnormal. We define it, and then we go crazy and insane and every other term that students love to use when it comes to disorders. And we just talk about, in general, what disorders are. And even in my abnormal psychology class, I give them all a label on the very first day of class and just have them wander around and try to figure out what's on their back. Because I feel like so much much of what we do is is trying to debunk the myths of um, what disorders are. And then I tell a lot of stories about former clients, of course, not giving any kind of confidentiality, but just making it reality as to what 
disorders might look like in an average person. And then I discussed the intro psych disease where they're all gonna label themselves and all of their family members by the time we finish with the semester and that almost all of those people do not actually have a disorder. Right, I call that psychology student syndrome. Yes. <laughs> Let's dive into some of those examples. Becky, you had mentioned that there are certain examples and stories that you use in the classroom. Any specific that you want to share that, that kind of help make the content relatable? Well, it, it depends on which disorder we're talking about, but over time you work with people with so many different disorders. Um, I like to talk about um, one of the fellows that I met when I was in graduate school, and he had schizophrenia, and I actually saved one of the poems that he had written, and I read it to my class, and it gets into a lot of the aspects of schizophrenia, and it really brings it home and allows them to understand what that is. Sometimes I will play music for them that people have written, and it gets into disorders themselves. It'll be like five-second clips of someone who's dealing with depression or someone who has anxiety, or, you know, it may be a quick video clip. It, it depends on a lot of current events and what's going on in Hollywood. We spent some time on the movie Split this time because it was such a big Hollywood thing in April, and so many of my students had seen the movie, and they wanted to hear about it and what was going on. So it, it can go back to my time as a clinician, and it can also be just taking current events and what's going on and bringing those examples into the classroom. Yeah, I often um, start off with an exercise and uh, break them into groups and, and then have them do uh, generate uh, synonyms to the word mental illness. And and the deal is, you know, they get highly competitive, and, and so I give a prize for the most the most words, and it could be any kind of word. And then we, you know, we put them in big newsprint, put, put them up at the front of the, the room and go through the, the words. And then I often make a um, a word cloud out of the words, you know. I do that separately, that students hand in a, a list. And, and so the larger the word, the more frequently it occurs, and you get all kinds of uh, interesting words, synonyms, you know, crazy, insane, disturbed, and just, just all kinds of synonyms for the term mental illness. And then that's a good basis for discussion about uh, stigma. The other thing I, I do throughout, since I'm a clinician, I do have war stories. Now, <laughs> by war stories, I mean, you know, actual interaction with people. And, and of course, we keep confidentiality. And, and for example, one of the stories I tell is, is in anxiety disorders. I had years ago a student who clearly had an anxiety disorder. She had a panic attack right in front of me, right in front of the class, and it perfectly illustrated what had to happen, and she had to be lifted, taken out of the room, public safety was involved. The, the moral of the story is she, she was a good student, sat in the front row. I didn't know it was happening until a student pointed it out and got my attention. Full-blown panic attack, escorted out, and of course what happened then is she didn't come back. She didn't, you know, that, and that is the nature of someone with a panic disorder who you don't return to the scene of the crime, if that makes sense. So I, I do give live examples like that as well. I think one of the most important themes that I try to bring across when we're talking about these examples, either from the media or from the news, it seems like students so rarely hear about people with psychological disorders outside of the context of some horrible act. So I will sometimes engage them in talking about certainly fictional portrayals of people, for example, with um, borderline personality disorder 
or dissociative identity disorder tend to really miss the mark in terms of missing the level of human suffering and isolation and loneliness that people experience and sort of trying to get students to understand what an illusory correlation is and how these two vivid things may be linked in their heads, but that people with psychological disorders are much more likely to be victims, uh, not perpetrators of, of crime and, uh, and aggression. And I don't know, I feel like so often students can get a sort of, uh, they're so into it, almost in a, it's exotic and interesting without necessarily feeling the compassion that they ought to feel for people who are genuinely suffering, who are often very lonely and that we can reach out to in our communities. I will add that my favorite topic to cover, which is kind of an odd thing to say, oh, I have a favorite disorder, but that <laughs> is post-traumatic stress disorder because I feel like it is such a great demonstration of that biopsychosocial approach because students can immediately understand that everybody experienced this same event. Some of the people develop an anxiety disorder and some don't. And I think that it is just a really great way to talk about things like vulnerabilities, uh, whether they are about psychological you know, experiences in childhood or physical or neurological issues or genetic issues, right? So that students can, I think, get a much better sense of, oh, right, I get it. Just because everyone has this same gene, they're not going to have the same disorder. Just because everybody has the same experience, only some of them will have the disorder. I think it's a really nice way to demonstrate the kind of basically the biopsychosocial nature of psychological disorders. Great. So it seems like a lot of the examples that you guys are sharing are good ones to get students engaged. Are there other things that you do outside of maybe stories? Are there examples that you use to help engage students across the content of this chapter? Well, in my smaller section of general psych, I often invite students to listen to podcasts. <laughs> not, not necessarily this one, but a variety of different podcasts that deal with psychological disorders, people with disorders. Invisibilia is one uh, that has a lot of psychology and some really interesting episodes about psychological disorders. Um, and uh, Strangers um, is another in which sometimes the people who are the focus have are people who are have a family member with a disorder. Um, and I think that exposing students to those kinds of um, outlets, rather than sort of movies with someone in the, that has a psychological disorder, gives them a chance to uh, get to know somebody with a psychological disorder in a real way. I send them to YouTube to watch clips of people who have psychological disorders to get a sense for, like, these are real people, um, and we're talking about them in these categories, but um, these categories don't define them, right? There are so many other things about these individuals than the fact that they have a disorder. Well, Laura, do you do that? you send them off to view the clips, or do you take class time to, to view the clips? And so this is in my smaller section. I actually send them off, and they usually write thought papers about those experiences, whether they are a podcast or a YouTube clip. Interesting. I, I typically use class time to show, mm -hmm. oh, no more than five-minutes in length uh, video clips with people who have disorders. And, and there's some some classic ones that they're dated, but, but I, in my mind at least, I say, well, yeah, they're dated, but they're – really good. They're from like the Mind series. We're talking uh -huh. uh, 
oh, the early 90s, late 80s, early 90s, and their interviews of patients about just really florid symptoms of schizophrenia, for example. And so mm-hmm. but rather than sending them off, I, uh, I want to... I want to make sure that they get it in class. So I take class time uh-huh. to show the videos and we discuss it and, and make sure that they're treating people humanely and, and seeing that human part. Right. I typically show mine in class as well. I want to make sure that they are getting a clear understanding of what that particular disorder is or what those people are dealing with. A lot of times, even like YouTube, there's a lot of stuff on there that's not real or accurate either. Sometimes, you know, I I spontaneously, and I probably shouldn't, but I spontaneously, if if there's some current event that that is, or or like a a famous uh, movie star that that has acted strangely, and and they're they're on YouTube, and the clips are there, and so we'll search and find the clips and then go through them to say, is this really uh, bipolar? You know, Lindsay Lohan, is she really bipolar, for example, and kind of do some of that spontaneously, but... For me, it's important to do it in the classroom. Right. And, you know, that's one of the things that we hear consistently as one of the challenges for this content is how do you personalize this chapter and the people that live with disorders? So it sounds like a lot of the resources that you guys use are videos and things like that to help demystify or destigmatize disorder. That's great. I want to jump in and and bring up something we we really haven't talked about. It's, It's perhaps more pertinent in the abnormal class. And that is how do, this is a fine line. How do you get across and destigmatize which which is I think we all agree that's one of the main purposes. How do you destigmatize mental illness? But then how do you deal with the me too's, the my my mother has this, I have this, <laughs> my roommate has this. Mm-hmm. Um, so so that, that's quite dicey. It's quite tricky. And and I think the way I've come to it is I want to protect my students. They they should not Yes, we can destigmatize, but you don't, for students, you don't say, and, and I've got this, and, and let me tell you all about my troubles. Now, right. I'm, I'm saying this because the real dicey part is I did a TED Talk on the need to destigmatize mental illness, which is very personal and very revealing, that I use in class, but the very last day, you know, Um, Mm -hmm. so I don't open myself up, and I certainly, I want to protect my students. I don't want them to open up and for the class to become group therapy. You know, yeah, I'm a clinician. I can handle that, but it's not a place in academics, so I I want to keep academic and yet keep the discussion open to destigmatize. One author uh, in a textbook years ago has a tagline, which, which is really quite good, and the issue is they say that it is not them, you know, it's not, it's not them, it's us. So mm-hmm. I want to convey that, but do it in a way that, that protects my students. Nancy, I think that's a really good point. I have that every semester, maybe more in abnormal psych than in general, but where they right. want to tell their own war stories. Right. And it is a fine line. I know I think a lot of people are afraid to teach this section because of that. They're afraid they'll open up that can of worms and that their office hours are going to become therapy sessions. Right. I certainly agree that it it needs to stay academic, but certainly that they can understand. And I usually will give resources just as a up on the board if they know someone or so on of some of the local agencies that they certainly could talk to if they want to. 
um, if it, something comes up for them. Yeah, and, and I do have students in my office, and I um, always refer out, and I think we, we all do that and, and know, know to do that. So before we move on to parting thoughts, I want to throw it back out to each of you to share perhaps your favorite resource that you use in this class. I don't know that I would call it a favorite resource, but I use one of two assignments in this class. I want my first and favorite assignment is that I pair students off in either partners or trios, and I tell them that they need to diagnose a fictional character. And then I go through a full list of questions of things that they have to do. They have to come up with the very basic symptoms. They have to show evidence of those symptoms. So they have to bring in video or something else. And this is something like SpongeBob SquarePants or Winnie the Pooh. This person cannot <laughs> be alive. This person cannot have ever been a real person. Like you couldn't use Jack the Ripper or Ted Bundy. They have to be fictional characters. And it kind of goes through some of the process with them. This is the final thing we do in the very last week of class. And so it's kind of a culmination project. And it does include therapy as well as kind of what treatments might help with this person. But it's a really neat project. Students love it. Um, and they present it to the classes. And it really kind of ties in and just shows how abnormality can be out there in the world. But it does it in a character sense. So we're talking about piglet versus talking about real people sometimes, which can be easier. And it's by far one of their favorite projects. The other quick project that I use many times is I will have students either write a poem or write a song about mental illness. And it has to be from a first person, not that they truly have to have it, but I try to get them to put themselves in the perspective of someone who is dealing with a mental illness and to be creative with it. So I don't give parameters on how long it has to be so much as it just has to be something unique and original that they come up with. And I get some really neat stuff and they share that with the class as well. As for class exercises, I, I alluded to this, but I'll, I'll explain it more. Very early on when we're talking about um, how you view abnormality, um, I really want to get at stigma and what people's current attitudes are. And so I have people generate as many words as they can think of, just, you know, many words as they can to the term mental illness. I take all those individual papers and then I put them into a, um, actually it's an online word cloud generator you can do. So I, I type all the, it's a lot of effort, I type all the, their responses into the word cloud generator and I come up with this huge word cloud that is a, a visual depiction. The larger the word, the more frequently they have come up with those words. And, and what are the most common, you know, stereotyped words about mental illness? We're talking crazy, insane, <laughs> sick, delusional, paranoid, bad, you know, all, all those negative words really come up visually large. So that, that's uh, quite interesting, I think, for the class. So before we wrap up, I do want to give each of you an opportunity to share some parting thoughts. Laura, do you want to kick us off? Sure. I, I just so appreciate hearing the uh, both Nancy and Becky's thoughts on the on this topic because there's no question that it is one of stu the students' most favorite topics to cover. And those of us who are not uh, clinically trained are, I think, sometimes at a disadvantage in terms of coming up with the kinds of real life examples that instructors who are who have a clinical background are able to share. At the same time, it's really so gratifying to hear that so many of us agree 
that destigmatizing psychological disorders is such an important part of covering this in intro psych. So, um, but those are my, my final thought is, yeah, if I was going to talk to a new instructor of intro who was, uh, who was green in terms of these topics, I think I would uh, tell them to, you know, have some confidence in terms of understanding it's a lot of material and they have to decide what they want to cover and some things are going to be left by the wayside. But that's something like focusing on destigmatizing psychological disorders and understanding the foundational information about the definition of abnormal is really good. These are good guideposts. So I, my parting thoughts for the general psychology class is that this is just a survey and a, and a taste of abnormal. Most of my students will not be going on, will not be taking other psychology classes. So I want to get them exposed and educated to, again, destigmatize mental illness as best I can. Again, so I see this as a broad sampler of pathologies out there to get them educated, to let people know that it really should be on par with medical illness, physical illness. Mental illness should be looked at as, as physical illness. That, that's the message I want to get. Um, I guess my parting thoughts would be to not be afraid to teach about the disorders and certainly to include the therapy piece with the disorders so that they can kind of understand what people can do about mental disorders. But my ultimate goal really is just to have a better understanding of what the disorders are um, what some of the most common ones are, uh, as well as, as the other two have said, getting rid of some of the stigma that's tied around uh, many of our mentally ill. All right. Well, Nancy, Becky, Laura, I want to thank the three of you for joining us on today's podcast on the Psychological Disorders chapters. I also want to thank everybody that's listening and join us again for our next podcast in a couple of weeks. Thanks, everybody. Thanks. Bye-bye. Hi. This has been a McGraw-Hill production. Thank you for listening.